which our brother Malloy just read for us. If you're new here, we are so glad that you're here. Uh, you should have had the chance to get one of these bulletins on your way in. And there's a Connect With Us card on the back that you can fill out. We'd love to get to know you a little bit. So you can fill that out if you're interested and drop it off in the offering box on your way out. We'd love to touch base and follow up with you uh, this week. One other announcement before we get into the sermon itself, and that is that this is the last week that will be, Lord willing, that we will be gathering at 630 so, by God's grace, we've received an extension in our worship service time. And so, beginning next week, we will be meeting at 6 o'clock from 6 to 7.15. So, if you get here at 6.30, you'll probably get here just in time for the sermon next week. But we'd love for you to be here for the first singing as well. So, next week, April 23rd, we will be meeting from 6 o'clock to 7.15. Doors open at 5.30. So we're very thankful for that extension and would love to see you guys back on time next week. So with that, let me pray, and then we will look at John 11. Lord, we thank you for your word, Jesus. We thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. That right now, Jesus, though it is not Easter Sunday, you are risen and reigning. And tomorrow, as we celebrate, you are still risen and reigning. Because Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. As we look at your word tonight in John 11, I pray that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things in it, and open our hearts to love it and trust it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So nine years ago, almost to the day, next month it'll be nine years ago, I was sitting in a garden in Jerusalem, and so I was there as part of a team that had gone to visit some friends of ours in Jerusalem who were doing ministry in Israel. And we spent all the day walking around and seeing the sights, doing all the tourist attractions in the day. And at the end of the day, we found ourselves at the Garden Tomb. I don't know if any of you have ever been there before in Jerusalem, but the Garden Tomb is a historical site where some archaeologists think that Jesus might have actually been buried when he was taken down from the cross. Now, we don't know for sure where Jesus was laid, but it might have been at this site according to this uh, team that was running there. I was there with two groups. So the group that I was part of was a bunch of Midwesterners from Minnesota who are about as emotionally buttoned up and reserved as it gets. The other group was a church group from Nigeria. And so you can imagine the contrast that was there they were not very emotionally reserved. After hearing the presentation from the team and the archaeological evidence of this is why we think this might be where Jesus was buried, we had the privilege to be able to go into the tomb ourselves. And I'll never forget, we were standing out there in kind of a semicircle, waiting for our turn to go in. The first man goes inside. He was from the group from Nigeria. He was in there for a few moments. He came back out. And he had a smile on his face. And he cried out with a loud voice, He's not there! <laughs> There's no body to be found there! He is risen! And immediately, all of the group from Nigeria began clapping and cheering and singing. It was enough to even make a Minnesotan cry. 
When I went in the tomb for myself, I saw what had probably provoked this man's response, other than just being there. On the door of the tomb, there was this sign. He is not here, for he has risen. There is no tomb in Jerusalem where the body of Jesus is laid. You can search all the tombs in Jerusalem, and Jesus is not there because death could not hold him. He rose from the dead, just as he promised. And this Easter weekend, we remember that. And we remember that with joy and with faith, because it is the best news in the whole world. Tonight, we're going to be looking at John 11, how Jesus is the resurrection and the life. In John 11, a man named Lazarus has died. Lazarus was a man who was very dear to Jesus. He is called a friend, one that Jesus loved. And as the chapter unfolds, we see Jesus teaching his disciples, comforting Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, and eventually raising Lazarus from the dead. But in the middle of the chapter, we read words that change the course of human history. And it's what Brother Malloy just read. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. As we unpack these words this evening, we're going to be seeing three points from this text. The first is the problem of death. The second is the source of life. And the third is the way to live. The problem of death the source of life, and the way to live. We'll look at them one at a time. The problem of death. In John 11, the problem of death that Martha, Lazarus' sister, is concerned about is that her brother has died physically. The problem of death in John 11 is the physical death. Lazarus has become sick, and he died. One moment he was alive, The next moment, he was dead. We tend in our culture to try and put a good face on death, to try to have a good attitude about death. But Martha's concern is real. Death is a tragedy. Death is separation from those we love. Martha could never talk to Lazarus again in her mind. It is pain and grief and not the way that it's supposed to be. And death is inevitable. Lazarus did not have Kennedy Hospital to be able to go to. The time since Jesus walked the earth, modern medicine has progressed over the centuries. But Kennedy Hospital would not have saved Lazarus. It would not have. At best, Kennedy Hospital would have postponed Lazarus' death. Lazarus was going to die. It was only a matter of when was he going to die. Matt McCullough, in his great book, Remember Death, writes this. He says, For all that it has given us, modern medicine has enabled a powerful, pervasive self-deception. Death is no less universal than it's ever been. Death is not a disease to be eliminated. It is the inevitable end of every human life. People don't die because medicine failed them. They die because they are human. 
The problem of death is a problem for every human being. Every person in this room, every one of you, unless Jesus returns first, will die. You will deal with this problem. Some of us will die after a, a full life when we normally expect people to die. Others of us will die at a younger age like Lazarus when it's considered a tragedy. But the reality is every single one of us will die. The Bible says that the reason for this is because every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us has disobeyed God. We have committed a crime that deserves the death penalty. Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death. A wage is something that is paid to you based upon the work that you have done. When you work, your paycheck is not a gift, it's your wage. And the paycheck that every single one of us deserves for the way that we live our lives and the work that we have done is to die. And every single one of us has sinned. Romans 3 puts it like this. It says, there is no distinction. It means you can't look around and make exceptions for people. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no distinction. Whether you were born into a Christian family, whether you were born into a family of Muslims, a Hindu family, or a family that followed no religion at all, every single one of us has sinned against the holy God of the universe, and therefore every single one of us deserves to die. We have earned death as our wage. This has happened because we are born with a sinful nature. You cannot help but sin. If you're honest with yourself, when you reflect on your day, you can find probably dozens of ways that you have done things that your conscience convicts you of. Whether it's thinking thoughts of bitterness, whether it's uttering words of poisonous darts, whether it's doing something wrong with your hands. We have all sinned because we are born with a sinful nature. Romans 5, Paul keeps going and he says, As sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. We are born into sin, which means we are born to die. Every one of us starts dying the moment we take our first breath. But the problem of death is even worse than this. So far, I've just been talking about physical death, momentary death. But physical death isn't even the worst part of it. The worst part of the death penalty that our sin deserves is the spiritual death that comes afterwards, what the Bible calls the second death. The same John who wrote our passage at the end of his life, he saw a vision, and he saw the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they have done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found, written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Physical death is momentary. The second death 
is eternal. It is described as a lake of fire that burns forever. It is described as a place where pain is immense, where the fire is not quenched. It is an experience of darkness, of pain, and misery. And apart from finding life, it will come for all of us. Death, both physical death and spiritual death, is your greatest problem. It is an enemy, and it's what we deserve. And that is why what Jesus says in John 11 is such good news. If we are born to die, then we should be asking ourselves, where do we find life? And the answer is Jesus, the source of life. Listen again to verses 25 and 26. I am, Jesus says, the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is the source of life. Jesus has the power to undo physical death. He is the resurrection. Death has no hold over Jesus' people. Lazarus was going to die again after he was risen from the dead. And he would have been raised again from the dead. Jesus is Lazarus' resurrection. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, though he die, yet shall he live. But Jesus does not just deal with the physical death. Jesus also deals with the second death, our greatest problem. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then he says, everyone who lives shall never die. This is the second death that Jesus is talking about here, spiritual death. We may pass from life to death. Most of us in this room, all of us in this room, if Jesus doesn't come back, will. But for those who are in Christ, we will pass from life through death to life, never to die again. Jesus is the life. He is the source of life who enables us to live to the fullest. And this is the best news in the whole world. And this is what Easter is all about. Your greatest problem, momentary and spiritual death, has been solved by Jesus. This man, who really walked the earth 2,000 years ago, has defeated your last enemy, has conquered the grave. He has solved your biggest need and addressed the problem that you most fear. But the question is, how does he do this? We haven't looked at how he does it. Jesus says he has done it. How, though? How is Jesus the source of life? How can a man not just live, but be life itself? This can happen because Jesus is the first of a new humanity. We read Romans 5 earlier. A few verses down, Paul says, Therefore, as one trespass 
led to condemnation for all men. That's talking about Adam's sin, who sin we inherit. One trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Adam's sin, the one trespass in verse 18, led to condemnation, that is judgment, and death for all men. This is because Adam was the representative for humanity. As the first man, he was our head. He stood in our place. And when he fell, we fell. When he died, we died in him. Jesus is the representative of a new humanity. He creates a new people for God. Not those who are in Adam, but those who are in Christ. And his active obedience to God, his perfectly keeping the law, his perfectly obeying the law of God, it earns life for his people. The wages of sin is death. The wages of Jesus' obedience is life for all who are in him. This is why Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. Because death had no say over him. It could not hold him. It was defeated by him. Like David, strolling to the battlefield, killing Goliath, Jesus killed death from the grave itself. And God raised Jesus to show that this is my beloved son who has conquered the enemy. Listen to what Peter says in the book of Acts. God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for death to hold him. Jesus had to rise from the dead because death had no say over him. He is the triumphant king, ruling and reigning. Jesus really died. He was betrayed by one of his followers, one of his closest followers. He was killed by wicked men. Wicked men who deserved to die killed the one who didn't deserve to die. Jesus died in the place of those who deserved to die. The only person not deserving death was Jesus, and yet he died for those who deserved death. But God raised him from the dead. Jesus is the resurrection and the life because he is the source of life for all who belong to him. This is why Easter Sunday is so significant. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. This is why we say that, is because all of us will follow him who are in Christ. He is the firstborn of the dead. He is the everlasting man, and he creates a new people who will live with him forever. Real life is now a person. 
Life's name is Jesus. Which leads to our final point this evening, the way to live. How does Jesus become your life? How can we live? The answer is by believing in Jesus. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The problem of death is solved by faith in Christ. The way to live is not by earning our lives through our obedience. Your good deeds will not get you into heaven. All around us, in this city, we have people trying to do just that. Inside the church and outside the church. We have people who dress the right way. We have people who eat the right foods, don't eat the right foods. We have people who say the right prayers and and fast at the right times. All in an attempt to earn life. But we can't. It will only earn us death. The way to live is by believing in Jesus. It's by seeing your death and coming to him for life. It's by opening your empty hands and holding on to him for dear life. To believe in Jesus means we put our trust fully in him. We no longer trust in ourselves. We no longer trust in our good works. We no longer trust in any other saviors. We trust in Jesus. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to walk or have ever walked on a plexiglass floor. One of those floors where you can look down and you can see the ground underneath you. It's like it's transparent. When we lived in Dubai, we visited the Dubai Frame, which is that big square golden structure in Zabil Park. And as you go up the Dubai Frame and you walk across it, you are 50 stories in the air, high enough to be able to see on both sides of the city. And as you walk across the Dubai Frame, there's a change that takes place. It moves from tile to plexiglass, where you look down and you can see the ground 50 stories below you. And as we were there a few years ago, it was so interesting to be able to see the people realize that they were about to walk on plexiglass. They would be walking around, looking out, taking pictures, enjoying the view, and then all of a sudden they would come to the point that the tile ended, and they would look down. And in that moment, you could see whether this person really trusted the plexiglass to be reliable or not. Because they would look down and they would freeze. Now they might be able to see with their eyes that there are other people in front of them walking on this plexiglass and it's supporting them. They might know in their heads that this will bear my weight, but in their hearts, they didn't trust it. At least not initially. And when the tile changed, they froze and were unwilling to take a step until they trusted the plexiglass. Many people are like that with Jesus. In our minds, we may have heard and know the truth about Jesus, but our hearts are unwilling to walk 
on the plexiglass. We are unwilling to rely fully upon him. We know the truth about Jesus, but we hold on to our good works. We say, if I come to church, that will be enough. Or if I read my Bible, that will be what gets me to heaven. Or if I make sure I don't drink alcohol, that will keep me from going to hell. And in doing so, we're holding on to our own righteousness, never taking a step out to see that Jesus is strong enough to bear our weight. And we miss the thrill of walking by faith. Jesus is sturdy enough. When we cast all of our hope and trust in him, we find that he bears us up. And this then changes the way that we walk by faith. We live trusting in Jesus as if our greatest problem has already been solved. Your greatest problem is not how much money you're going to earn this year. Your greatest problem is not whether or not you get coronavirus. Your greatest problem is not whether or not your kids will grow up and get good-paying jobs and bring honor to your family. Your greatest problem is death, and Jesus has solved it. And so we can walk by faith, trusting that he'll carry us all the way. One of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible is 1 Corinthians 15, and it's because it ends like this. Paul says, The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, in light of that, because victory is yours in Christ, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because Jesus is alive, your living in him is not in vain. Because Jesus is alive, because Jesus is life itself, he enables you to be steadfast. You can be immovable in your obedience to God, not trying to earn God's favor, but because Jesus has given you life itself. Your work is not in vain because Jesus is alive and he will return to reward it. This allows us to walk with Jesus into the most difficult places on earth. This allows for us to share the hope of Jesus with people who we are terrified of. This allows for us to obey Jesus even when the cost is great. This allows for us to have difficult conversations, to experience earthly pain, to even follow Jesus to death. Because in the Lord our labor is not in vain. He is alive. 2,000 years ago, Jesus really walked upon this earth. 2,000 years ago, he died to pay for the sins of the world. 2,000 years ago, he was beaten mocked, nailed to a cross to die. 2,000 years ago, he was put into the tomb, not even one that belonged to him, into someone else's tomb. A stone was rolled in front 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead. 
he conquered death, just as he said. The reality of Jesus' resurrection changes everything. For those of you who have believed in Jesus, you have been spiritually raised right now with Jesus. You are spiritually seated with Christ in the heavenly places, which allows for you to walk by faith now. And for those of you who haven't believed in Jesus, Jesus is alive to welcome you so you can come and he can give you living water that will quench your thirst. He can give you life itself because he is life. He is sturdy enough for you to walk upon for the rest of your life and he will never let you down. There is no body to be found in the tomb. And like our Nigerian brothers in the garden, that is something that is worth cheering and singing about. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Lord, we praise you that, Jesus, you are alive. You have risen from the dead just as you said, and you give life to all freely who come to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you live right now to intercede on our behalf, to pray on our behalf. And so we pray, Lord, as we continue to sing, that you would receive these praises and be glorified among us and give us faith to trust what we sing. You are stronger, Jesus. And so we give you the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.